Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, and welcome to our third and final part of our Naked Marriage series. We're so glad you're here this morning. And for those of you who are new, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and you're probably wondering, why in the world is there a sermon that has the title, Naked Marriage? Well, first of all, yeah, some yeah, people are really excited about naked. this. We are too. We love it. Naked That's why I'm here. Okay. Naked. Yay! Now we're... That is we're, actually our first reason. Right? Which is the right response. I mean, let's be honest. We it's, like the word naked. It's God's idea. It is. And it was the picture that he painted of the very first marriage, which he was showing us his intent for what marriage and intimacy was really meant to look like. And he paints this picture in the verse in Genesis. He does. In Genesis 2, he talks about the very first married couple, Adam and Eve, and how they were naked and unashamed. And it's just this beautiful picture of their physical nakedness to one another, which is important. But it's also this picture of them having no walls, no secrets, nothing in between them. And we truly believe that God still wants us to have what we like to refer to as naked marriages today. And so yeah. we've been talking about this all these last couple weeks. Right. And we, sh- we shouldn't settle for anything less. And what I love is that it's... I think it's a responsibility of the church to redeem the conversation about marriage and even specifically about sex. And what's happened a lot of places is the church has stepped back. Even in Christian families, we've stepped back. We've not talked about it. And we've kind of sent this silent message that it's something that the devil owns now. It's his thing. But the devil is nothing but a liar and a thief. He never created anything. He only tries to steal and twist and pervert that which has been created. God owns marriage. God owns sex. It's his idea. It's one of the very first things he created. And his plan for it is something that's so pure and so beautiful. And when we will redeem the conversation and hold up the value of what he intended and what he still intends, that kind of intimacy in, in our marriages, man, that is a better picture than any false counterfeit the world can ever throw at us. But I'm just thankful to be part of a church that's willing to have these conversations Because a lot of us grew up in situations, in in churches, maybe even in families, where it was something that just wasn't talked about. With good intentions, people just took a step back and said, well, we're just not even going to go there. That's so true. I mean, maybe throughout this series, you've seen the big PG-13 sign, and you're like holding your breath, like, what are they going to talk about? And so uh, over these past couple weeks, some of you may have been squirming in your seat a bit. Like, I've never heard the word sex in the sermon so much in my life, and I feel really uncomfortable about it. And, you know... I'm sorry on one hand, but on the other, I really hope, and I would have been one of those people, okay? Because I I grew up in a home where my parents love each other very much, but we never really talked about sex, even at an age-appropriate level. I think my parents just, they wanted to keep me chaste, and they didn't really want to talk about their own past, and they were afraid of the questions I would have. And so it was kind of the thing we never spoke of. And, you know, and I never really saw a lot of affection, and I I think it was just kind of an uncomfortable subject. And maybe, you know, you grew up that way, and so this this series has made you feel a little uncomfortable, but I think, you know, we're hoping to, to really draw people out of their shell a bit and get you talking about these things, because like Dave said, God created sex. God created marriage. In fact, he created sex as a gift for marriage. And it's not something, you know, as married people that you have to do. It's something that you get to do, that it's awesome. And so we want to have these healthy conversations. But if you grew up and you weren't talking about it a lot, you know, that's what you bring into the marriage. And so it can make it kind of awkward when it comes down to it. I mean, maybe you didn't grow up hearing many murmurings from the bedroom, if you know what I mean. Murmurings? Yeah. Just a creepy word. I'm just going to say it. If murmuring... If murmuring is the sound coming out of your bedroom, you're doing it wrong. I'm just going to go ahead and own that. 
<laughs> a, Probably should have picked a different word. Too much information, word. perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> but don't, and this is a separate issue, but don't be afraid to have these conversations with your kids. I think that, that we, as, as Christian parents, we, we should be the safest place in the world for our kids to, to want to talk to us about sex. They already know way more than you think. I mean, they know way more from the school bus and the playground and the kid with the smartphone down the hall. And, and, and they, they know more than you want them to know. But be a safe place where they can process this. And if you don't know where to start with those conversations, here's a great tool that's helped me in these conversations. There's a tool called Passport to Purity. Passport, the number two purity. It's a resource from Family Life Today that's gender specific for boys or for girls to lead this conversation in age appropriate ways. Because it's not just the talk. It's really a conversation that, you know, extends throughout adolescence and beyond. So, so start there, but don't, don't just be silent about it because in that silence, in that vacuum, that silence creates, it's going to be filled with the wrong kind of information. And we need to, again, redeem the conversation, reclaim it. And, you know, I'm thankful. I actually talked about uh, a lot of us came from places where it wasn't talked about. I kind of had the other extreme. All right. My parents were a couple of freaks. All right. And (laughs) probably look at me and you're like, that actually explains a lot, Dave. That explains a lot. (laughs) So I'll show one very uncomfortable example of this true story. Uh, This is a true story. The first time my parents met Ashley. All right. Now, I just wanted wanted to make a good impression. I wanted to marry this girl. I already knew, like, this is the one. I want to marry her. Please, let's just not do anything weird today. Let's let's (laughs) try to convince her we're a normal family. And so... So we go to church. That's safe, right? We go to church, and, and it was great, and church was great. And then we went to lunch afterwards, and this is where my life began to unravel. And I've, and, but it was—, it was <laughs> So let me paint the picture. So my mom, sweetest woman you've ever met. I want you to picture Mother Teresa, but much more fashionable. She is like a fashionable Mother Teresa, just sweet, kind, kind-hearted. But she doesn't really believe in secrets. Like, she will just tell you everything, like just— more than you More want than to know. And so she's yeah. meeting Ashley and she's like, oh my gosh, you're so pretty. You're just so beautiful. Oh my goodness. I'm so, just so excited you're here. And I'm so excited to get to know you. And let's sit down. And then she sits down and she grabs kind of the side of her hip. And she goes, oh my goodness. I'm, oh, the, the side of my bottom hurts. And I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. What is happening? And then she says, you're probably wondering why, why the side of my bottom here hurts. I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> we don't want to know. But I couldn't get the words out because I was fighting a gag reflex. I was like, oh, no, no. Oh. And so she begins to tell this story in a restaurant to this woman that I, that I want to marry. She's like, well, this is what happened. Oh, yeah. PTSD. Hang on. I'm getting through it. Okay. So she says, <laughs> so I was getting ready this morning and your father was, I promise she used this word, tantalizing, tantalizing. me. What does that even mean? Yeah. Like I just pictured all these horrible things. I don't want to know why that word even exists or why you would use it now. And she said, it was tantalizing me. And then, and she goes, and so then I'm, I'm getting ready and I'm in the shower and I get out of the shower and I'm drying off. And your father, he starts chasing me around the bathroom, trying to spank me with the curling iron. Yes. And, yeah. and I'm running away saying, Brad, it's hot. It's hot. He thought I meant it's hot as in it's exciting. <laughs> But I meant literally, it's hot. I'd had it plugged in. I was going to use it. And then he makes contact with me. He does spank me. And it burned me right here on the side of the bottom. And that's why I'm sore. So what are you going to have for lunch? And I'm just like, oh, oh. So this is my life. This is is how I grew up. 
All right. Again, it explains a lot, I'm sure. It was a first impression I will never forget. And honestly, we got Karen's permission, Dave's mom's permission to tell the story. And when we were talking to her about it, she literally, you all, there are so many of these stories that it literally had slipped her mind is what she said. And I'm like, Karen. I'm like, you don't remember. It's burned in my brain. But What? Yeah, I know. Thanks, Mom. But I will say, Mom and Dad, love you. You're watching this. Thank you, though, even though there were some moments that gross out, for having the kind of marriage... (laughs) That made me excited to be married someday. I think that's one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids. So many of it, like kids look at their parents and they're like, if that's what marriage is, I'm out. I don't want it. They do, right? And that's why there's a generation of kids that don't even want to get married. Like, we'll just live together. We'll do something else. But if that's what marriage is, I don't want it. Give your kids the gift of modeling for them the kind of marriage that makes them excited to be married someday. To make them want to be like it was in Genesis, naked and unashamed, just known and loved. And what a gift. It is such a gift. And so, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been unpacking what exactly it means to have a naked marriage. In the first week, you know, we talked about friendship and how we need to be friends and we need to figure out things in the love seat, which means that we're together and we're working through everything and we're not retreating to the me seats by ourselves. In the second week, we talked about what it is to have a fruitful marriage. We talked about that first word that God said to the very first married couple, and that word was para, which meant to be fruitful, not only individually, but together and to flourish. And so this week, we're going to talk about the last component to having a naked marriage, and that is to be faithful. And I think when we hear that word faithful, we just think about being physically faithful, about not having an affair. But really, there's so much more to being faithful. And really, it doesn't start with the physical. It really starts in the mind and the heart. And so we're going to unpack kind of some different ways that we can be unfaithful to our spouse without even realizing or taking those steps to having a full-blown affair. And the first one we're going to talk about today is actually fantasy. Now, if you're filling out your uh, bulletins, I'll go ahead and tell you this one. It says, fantasy is a form of infidelity. We are called to be physically monogamous and mentally monogamous. Now, I want to clarify really quick. When we talk about fantasy here in this context, we're talking about fantasy outside of the marriage. When you're fantasizing about being with someone other than your spouse. So, extramarital fantasy. Now, fantasy inside your marriage, between you and your spouse, that's a good thing. Chase each other with a curling iron or whatever you're into, you know, but... Exactly. But mentally, the moment anyone else is involved, it is, it, it's an act of infidelity. It right. really, really is. Infidelity doesn't just mean, and it's, we, we've taken it to mean just a, a physical affair, a sexual affair. But infidelity, the literal translation is just broken trust. It's breaking that vow in some way, not living up to that covenant. And this is one of the, the biggest things that Jesus calls us to. Very yes. specifically, Jesus, even though they didn't have a lot of the, the forms of of mental infidelity. They didn't have pornography in first century Israel. They didn't have a lot of these things, but they still had lust. This has always been an issue and a sin of the human mind and heart. And Jesus tackled this head on. He did. In Matthew 5, he says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it's like Jesus taking infidelity and what we kind of think of it and, and bring it to a whole new level and saying, you know what? It's really what you think about. It's those wandering eyes that you might have. And, you know, in this day and age, I think it it is so easy to fall into this pit because we live in this very connected world as far as online through social media. And if you're having a hard day in your marriage or maybe a hard week, hard month, you can go on Facebook, you can look up old flames, and you can start fantasizing about that life you might have had with that old flame because you're really, you know, not happy with how things are. And that's such dangerous territory. And that's how affairs start. I mean, you start having this correspondence online. You think it's harmless. 
And then before you know it, you're meeting for coffee. And then before you know it, you're in a hotel room. And it's just little by little, we have these subtle things where we, we cross boundaries and we, we take our focus off our spouse and we start fantasizing about other things. So we've really got to watch where our minds go, where our hearts go and keep tuned into what God has called us to. And that's to be faithful mentally and physically to our spouse. That's right. And to protect each other in this way, like in the Bible speaks clearly of this, which is the next verse that we'll share to prioritize that aspect of your marriage, right. to pr- prioritize that, that, that special connection, the physical connection that can only exist between husband and wife. You know, your spouse is the only legitimate source that, uh, mentally, physically, or, or through fantasy anywhere else of sexual fulfillment. Anytime we go outside to meet that need, we've sinned. We've sabotaged our marriage. So the Bible calls us not only to remain pure ourselves, but also to protect our spouse and protect our spouse's purity by prioritizing this aspect of the marriage. So they don't fall into temptation. Now, you might think that that needs not being met to me for me. And so I, it justifies the fact that I'm going to go meet that need in another way. Nothing justifies a sin. Hear me. Nothing your spouse can do can justify your sin. However, we are called to serve each other in this way. Right. For a lot of reasons. One, it brings you together, but two, it protects this aspect of your marriage. Absolutely. In 1 Corinthians, it says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And it's basically saying, you know, don't hold back from one another. Meet this need. Be excited about meeting this need. And again, I said this towards the beginning. You know, we sometimes the longer we're married, I think we can get into the business of everyday life and think, oh, sex is just another thing on the list. It's something that I have to do. It's my duty to my spouse. And yes, I guess it is. But we got to shift our thinking and, and look at it as a privilege, as a way to serve our spouse, as a way to engage as a married couple, this gift of sex that God has given us in marriage. Because when we shift our thinking in that way, we, we, we get excited about it first and foremost, and we're, and we're less prone to try to look outside. Because again, it, it just, when we think we can just go fulfill this ourselves through things like pornography or fantasy, we're completely missing out on the naked marriage that God really wants us to have. Yeah, and speaking specifically about pornography. And, and these things, it's not comfortable to talk about these things, by the way, yeah. but it is so important. It's so important. And I think that, again, this is an area where churches, where Christian families, we've dropped the ball and just kind of turned a blind eye to these things that are running rampant, sabotaging our marriages, sabotaging our single people, sabotaging our teenagers. Pornography, I'm convinced it is the single greatest enemy of true intimacy in the world today. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. And I can speak to this from personal experience which again, isn't comfortable to talk about, but it's, it's helpful to share, share testimonies. Like I had a struggle with porn and I've shared this many times and in many ways, because if it'll help anybody, I'll talk about it. When I was a teenager, I was one of the 95% of American teenagers who was exposed, exposed to pornography before I turned 18. That's a real statistic, by the way, 19 out of 20 kids, boys and girls will see porn. Uh, they, they just will, whether they're looking for it or not, that those images planted seeds in my mind made impressions like my mind was wet cement of of how I started to view sexuality in a very broken way, in a way that objectified human beings, in a way that that Satan has really taken to, to again, try to sabotage sexuality and intimacy the way God intended. And it put me on this dark path of trying to stay away from it by sheer willpower. Uh, And I would stay away for a while, but then I would fall back into that same dark pit. Uh, And and it wrecked the way that that I saw love and the way that I saw sex. And, and, And... I knew that it was wrong. I knew what Jesus had taught about lust. And so I would stay away and I would get in this cycle of shame and then falling in again. But I never did what the Bible actually tells us to do when we're struggling with sin, which is to confess, to repent, to find accountability, to, to do those things. I, I did what pride tells you to do, which is just to deal with it on your own, which is never the right idea. 
So we got married. I thought, well, now that I'm married, this won't be an issue. But about a year into our marriage, that temptation came back out of nowhere, and I fell back into that same dark pit. And now I, I recognized I was committing an act of, of mental infidelity. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to confess. I felt trapped. And, and finally, that, that came out. And as it came out, it was, it was the worst thing and the best thing that could have happened. And it, it put us on a path of, of rebuilding trust and really getting, getting that completely out of our life through, you know, through accountability and all the things I should have done in the, in the first place. But I talk about this every chance I get, and here's why. According to Barna, Barna is the most trusted name in, in Christian statistics. I mean, these guys are legit. They don't make numbers up. It is, it is very scientific, their approach. They say that 62%, almost two out of three, 62% of men who claim to be Christian, that means that this would be a pretty accurate representation of this room right now. I would like to say the statistic is less, but this is what Barna says. 62% of men look at porn at least once a month. Men who claim to be Christians. That means if the stats hold true, the majority of men in this room right now have an active pornography habit. And guys, that is devastating. We've got to, first off, break away from this huge lie our culture is, is feeding us that, that it's just entertainment and that it's harmless. We've got to agree with what God says. It is a sin. It's a growing number of women as well. This isn't just a male issue. A growing number of women. Um, the, the women are, are just as likely to get involved in, in erotica that isn't as necessarily visual, but are planting these, these kind of same seeds in their mind. We've got to call it what it is, which is a sin. We've got to take steps to get accountability and software, whatever we need to do to get it out of our lives. Because I'm telling you, it will sabotage your marriage, your mindset. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an old person, it will destroy you. And we've, we've got to get real about this. We've, we've just got to get real about it and get rid of it. Absolutely. And, you know, like they said, we're not necessarily comfortable. Like, hey, I want to share, you know, porn in our background. Like, we're not comfortable talking about it, but we need to be because we know that it is such a struggle for so many people. And we want to bring you out and bring this out to the light and let God heal you and, and bring this out of your homes. Because, like, I remember when I found those websites on our computer, which was kind of in a dungy basement. We lived in this old house. I had this basement where we had our computer for some reason. I don't even remember why it was down there, but I found these websites. And my first thought was what creeper broke into my house and looked up these crazy websites. Okay. Because I just could not fathom Dave doing this. You know, that's what we do with our, our spouse. We hold them on a pedestal, but then it was like, God just kind of whispered to me, you know, Ashley, this is the truth. And yes, it's like the worst thing and the best thing all at once, but you need to see the truth because I knew in my heart of hearts that something was off in our marriage. Like I knew it. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't really, I, I couldn't decide what it was, but I just felt like things were off. And it was like, all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness, like this is something Dave is struggling with. This is why things feel off right now. And so I, I was hurt. I was sad. I was mad. I mean, I was all kinds of feelings, but all I could do in that moment was call Dave. And I, I just needed to hear him say that this was something that he did. And I called him at work and I just, I literally only, he said, hello. And I said, do you have something that you need to tell me? And then I husbands, said, I'll just, just like say, that. if your wife ever calls you <laughs> and says, is there something you need to tell me? Just start confessing to anything. Yeah. Go back in second grade. I stole a candy bar in third grade. Like just go all the way back. Just get it all out. You'll, you'll feel better. That's right. But you know, Dave, and, and he now tells me like, he was so glad that it came out. He didn't even, there was nothing else he was going to confess. He knew exactly what I was talking about. And he said, you found it. 
you saw it on the computer. I'm so sorry. I'm devastated that I didn't have the guts to come to you and tell you that this is a struggle. I'm so sorry. I know this is hurting you. And we just started taking the steps. You know, I, I, I forgave him, which made rebuilding trust possible. We got filtering software on all of our devices. And we still till this day have filtering software on all of our devices, um, which I highly recommend. And it, it just creates accountability and, uh, and it makes us beyond reproach. It makes us able to be open and naked with one another when it comes to this issue. And, and it, it, was, it was good that this came out. And I just want to encourage you to talk about these things. And if you have a current struggle with pornography, I hope that today marks a day where it comes to the light, that you surrender it to the Lord, that you tell your spouse the truth, and that you guys are able to find healing from this. Because it's going to take both of you coming together as a married couple to get through this but you can get through it. And I just want to recommend a website really quick if this is um, something you're struggling with. And that's xxxchurch.com. We're friends with the people who run this ministry and they have awesome resources. But we just have to be, we have to be willing to talk about hard things. And we have to be willing to get things like pornography out of our marriages and out of our homes because it's going to make, it's going to make us make bad choices. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that does lead to full-blown affairs. And so we've got to be honest about it. And that actually leads to our next form of infidelity that we don't necessarily always think of. And that is secrecy. Secrecy is a form of infidelity. The depth of your honesty will determine the depth of your intimacy. And there's a lot of verses that talk about, you know, being truthful. But there's one in Third John. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I will tell you this, as hard as it was for me to find those sites and realize that Dave had been keeping this um, habit from me and that, that he was doing this, it was so good to bring that truth to light because instantly it was like I was taking the bricks of lies away from between us and making our marriage better for it. And I think when you can just take those secrets away, make sure that there's nothing you're keeping from each other, you're going to have a stronger marriage. Yeah, the Bible speaks so much about how the truth and love are forever connected. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of both. He was complete love and he was complete truth. And he calls us to be the same in our relationships. And specifically in marriage, we give up the right to privacy in marriage. I I think one of the biggest broken lies that married couples believe now is that they have this right to privacy in their marriage. That, well, I'm still my own person. I'm still an adult. I don't have to tell her everything. I don't have to tell him everything. Well, if that's what you think, then, then you don't really understand what marriage is. I mean, marriage is naked. It's saying, I've got nothing to hide from you. There's nothing up my sleeve. I'm not even wearing sleeves. Like, it is all out in the open. Like, there is no part of my mind, my heart, my bank account, my schedule, my cell phone that you don't have access to. The point where Ashley and I, we even share an Apple ID on our phones. So we get copied on all of each other's text messages. Not because we don't trust each other, but because we do. It keeps us connected into what's happening in each other's lives. She can remind me, oh, don't forget you got that appointment at 10 o'clock tomorrow. We know what's happening. And if, if the thought of your spouse being able to pick up your phone and scroll through everything on it, every website, every text message, if that freaks you out, then I would say there are some serious trust issues in your marriage. And, and it's time to, to take that step of saying, I, I want that kind of intimacy. I want that kind of naked marriage. And you think, well, but we trust each other. We shouldn't have to do that. I'm telling you, it's the voice of pride Pride is the voice that leads to sin. Pride is the voice that leads to divorce. And pride is that voice that says, you don't have to do that. You, you don't have to give an account. You can do things your way. You don't, have, you don't have to do that. But it's the things that we don't look at it as something we have to do. We look at it as this great privilege to, to have complete honesty. And I think that some of the secrets in marriage, it's, we think we're protecting our spouse by not telling them. We believe the lie that, well, if I, if I burdened them with this, 
it would actually hurt her. It would hurt him. And so I'm just going to keep this to myself. And it might be issues with your past. You know, we found this in talking with a lot of couples that there might be issues of your past, things that you did or or specifically things that that were done to you, you know, that, that can create deep, deep wounds and scars. And you don't know how to process that or unpack that to, to your spouse. And so you just kind of pretend like it never happened. You know, issues of, of sexual abuse, which again, I think is one of these subjects that the church has been tragically silent on. But the statistics, the most conservative estimates we could find say that one in six women, 18 million women in the United States have been the victim of sexual abuse. One in six. That's scores of ladies right here in this room that could raise your hand with a broken heart. Say, me too. There was a point in my life where this gift of sex that God intended to be such a safe gift was used as a weapon against me. And the, the wounds that that causes are just terrible. And I, I'm, I'm heartbroken that that happened to you. And I pray that you'll, you'll get the counseling and you'll get the healing that God wants to bring to that wound. But I also pray that, that God will give you the courage to talk openly with your spouse. It's not just women who are victims of abuse. There have been at least 3 million men in the United States who've been the victim of sexual abuse. And men are much less likely to talk about it uh, than, than female victims are. And so we, we've got to come out and just say, this is what's happened to me. This is a deep wound that I've just tried to bury, but it's, it can't stay buried because I want there to be no secrets between us. And, and maybe the secret for you has nothing to do with abuse or, or your own past choices. It, it could be something completely different. But whatever it is, you have to unearth those secrets so that the soil is there where, where seeds of trust and love can be planted in your marriage with nothing to block them. It's so true. And, and you know, I hope that you guys can go home today and talk through this and think about like, are there any secrets between us? Is there anything that I just haven't shared, you know, with my spouse that he or she needs to know and just talk about those things. And, you know, a lot of times it may be hard stuff. It may be stuff that you're embarrassed to talk about, but this is your spouse. You know, if there's ever a person on this earth that you should be able to share anything with, it it should be your spouse. And I'm telling you, once you all are totally honest and you get naked, so to speak, emotionally with each other, it's going to draw your hearts closer together and, and you'll have that kind of naked marriage that you so want to have. But there, there's this third thing that we want to talk about that I think is probably the, most, the common. most common. Yes. And it's what I don't think we often think of when it comes to infidelity. And that is apathy. Apathy is a form of infidelity. A marriage can only work if both spouses are willing to fight for each other. And apathy is, is that feeling like, you know, yeah, we're married, but I don't know if I really love her anymore. I don't really know if I love any, him anymore. It may work out, it may not, but I'm just kind of over it. I'm, I'm over fighting for it. But you know, there's actually a verse that goes along with this in Matthew. It says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And there's a key word in this verse. You've probably heard this verse a lot at weddings. This gets read a lot. But there's a key word, and that's united. And in the Greek, the word united is actually a verb. And that means to continuously pursue. And I love that picture of the continuous pursuit of a husband and a wife continuously trying to fight for their marriage because that goes directly against apathy. That is the opposite of apathy. You know, continuously pursuing your spouse says, I believe there's hope for us. Apathy says there's no hope. Continuous pursuit says you are worth fighting for. Apathy says you're not worth fighting for. 
And so we've got to choose the latter. We've got to continuously pursue one another because it's easy for apathy to take over. I think we get so bogged down by the day-to-day in our lives, by caring for the kids, going to work, paying the bills, doing all this day-to-day business, that we can become very apathetic about our actual relationship. And we stop being intentional about spending time together and about actually talking to one another and, and engaging. And so when we do this, when we stop doing those things and, and really looking into our spouse's eyes and pausing for a moment and remembering why you fell in love in the first place, it's easy to get apathetic. And then you start thinking, do I really love this person anymore? Is or this, I married the wrong person. I married the wrong person. I, right. And your feelings will, will lie to you. And I think a lot of divorces happen because people say, I'm just following my heart. My heart's leading me out of this marriage. Like your heart will lead you all kinds of bad places. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Following your heart is terrible advice unless your heart is following Jesus. That's right. The Bible doesn't say follow your heart. It says follow your faith, follow your commitments, follow your principles. Your feelings will have a way of catching up. Apathy sets in when you start trusting your feelings to be your guide. Instead of trusting God and his principles and your commitments to be your guide. If you'll stay on that course, you know, feelings will catch up. There'll be times where the feelings are there. There'll be times that the feelings are not. But feelings were never meant to be the foundation you build your life on. They're way too fickle. We've got to fight for each other, especially in the moments when we're not feeling it. And that leads us into a story we want to share as we prepare to, to kind of wrap up our time. I want to share a story with you from a couple right here in our church. Daniel and Elena Gutierrez. They're dear friends of ours. Um, them and their precious son, Bennett, are such a great part of this church family. Daniel's on our staff. He, he does a lot of the tech, makes a lot of these videos that you see every week. And in fact, you've, you've even seen him playing the keys over here. He'll be out here in a, again in a minute. He's the man with the big, beautiful Viking red beard that I wish I could grow. I just don't have that much <laughs> testosterone, but he does. And they, they went through a period of their marriage where um, they, they were apathetic. They were ready to give up. They'd fallen out of love. They, they, they had drifted apart. They felt like strangers. And they felt wounded and hurt, and they didn't know what to do other than to just quit and maybe start again with somebody else. But God did a work in their marriage that put them on a different path. And there was a change that happened. I want you to hear them explain it in their own words that led to a a renewal and a rebirth, the kind of rebirth that, that I believe God still wants for hurting marriages today. He still raises dead things back to life, and that includes marriages. And that's what this couple experienced. And even just this past week, I had the privilege of officiating a a vow renewal ceremony for them. But let's take a few minutes and watch their story. The day after we'd met, we went on a date and it was just like a real connection. We just knew like, and that was the first time I'd ever felt anything like that. And and I knew I'm like, this is, this is the girl I'm going to marry. He just looked like the kind of guy that you would just want to hang out with and that you could laugh with. But I'd never, I'd never talked with someone where the conversation came so easily before. Throughout the time that we were dating, he was actually in the process of joining the military. He found out that he was going to be stationed in Korea. We were married for three days, and on the fourth day, I was actually in Korea. Um, and it did not take long for that to catch up with me. At one point, we had been up, away from each other longer than we had even known each other. The entire first year of our marriage, we spent 7,000 miles apart from each other. At that point, we had kind of begun to build this relationship on top of a foundation that wasn't, um, that wasn't very solid. Right before our son turned one, um, we actually found out that we were pregnant again, and then um, I had a miscarriage, and then the following month I got pregnant again and then had a second miscarriage. It was just weighing down on me so much that 
I felt that just kind of driving a wedge between us. I felt like I was kind of climbing a mountain that just kept getting taller and taller no matter how close I got to the top. It just kind of continued to get worse. So, you know, Daniel had these hurts and I had these hurts and we didn't know how to really share it with each other. So we just continued feeling hurt and angry at each other and it got to this place where um, it began to feel like we were on, you know, two totally separate ends of this relationship. Being able to, to come to terms with the, the realness that this is going to slip away from you, you know, like it's got to this place where we're so far apart I feel like we didn't know each other. We had some incredible and wonderful friends that genuinely just wanted to see our marriage do well, that loved both of us. The main thing was finding those people who you could trust and who, you know, who loved both of us and, you know, wanted the best for both of us. Because of all of that positive influence that we had, we began to look at our relationship instead of just ways to make ourselves happy, um, ways to serve the other person and make them happy as well. And through that, it was like our whole relationship just completely took off in this whole new direction. We basically just sat down and had an extremely open conversation with each other, which we really hadn't done in years. Feeling for the first time that we relate um, and we understand what the other person is talking about. Like, it just gave us all kinds of hope. It actually felt like we were dating for the first time again. You know, even though this we're coming up on our fifth anniversary um, of, of marriage, um, this really feels like a, a brand new start to our to our life together. Surround yourself with friends who you can trust and friends who are for you and love you and want the best for you. Here we are in this place where we never thought we'd be, where we're just happy and we just never thought it could get to this place where you could you know come from where we came from to where we are and just it'd be real i think we, we really feel like best friends now um, and that was there in the very beginning and then it kind of got lost along the way and now i can't wait to see like what, what the rest of our life brings a great story and thank you daniel and elena for being willing to share that really appreciate you guys As we wrap up, we, we've shared in this sermon specifically kind of a lot of the negatives to avoid. But we want to end with just reminding you of a few positives to pursue. Because a great marriage isn't just about avoiding the negative things, but much more so it's about pursuing the right things. And here are just a few of them. A strong marriage requires complete loyalty, courageous commitment, and continuous pursuit. Loyalty means putting your spouse first. You know, it's God first, but then it's your spouse. It's above above your, your career, above your parents, above your friends, above any other influence, that, that first loyalty beyond God goes to your spouse. Courageous commitment. Great marriage isn't built on compatibility. It's, it's built on commitment, never giving up on each other, and continuous pursuit like we've talked about, continuing actively to pursue, to continue to grow in your love. And I love this, this verse that the Apostle Paul writes that I think is a goal for all of us, uh, even applied specifically to marriage. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. And while Paul was a single man, he was saying this in, in terms of his own faith, that he fought the good fight, he'd finished the race, he'd remained faithful in terms of his faith. And if you're a single person, yes, let this be a promise that you make to God, that with my life, with my relationships, with all that I do, I want to I remain faithful. But for those of us who are married, there's no more profound way that we live out our faith than by how we love our spouse. And so to let these words be a promise, a, a vow recommitment to be able to look at your spouse and say, I want to fight the good fight with you, not against you. I want to finish the race with you, not alone. And I want to remain faithful. 
Absolutely. I love those words. And we just couldn't think of any better way to end this series than with an actional recommitment. And for those of us who are single in this room, you're going to say these words, these promises to God. And for those of us who are married, we're going to say these to God and to our spouse. So I want everybody to stand, please. And if you are married, I want you to face your spouse and join hands. And if your spouse is not here, you can say this promise to your spouse, wherever they may be. Absolutely. And for everyone else, we're going to, you know, we're going to say it to God. And Exactly. So if you guys could repeat these words with me. And after this, we are also going to remain standing and pray together. All right. I promise to fight the good fight. I promise to fight the good fight. I promise to finish the race. I promise to finish the race. And I promise to remain faithful. I promise to remain faithful. And those of you who are married and your spouse is here with you, give them a big kiss. Yes. Good in church. church. Yes. Woo. Okay. I saw some tongue in church in the back there. Oh my gosh. Hold that. Oh yeah. He's like doing this. Woo. (laughs) All right. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for all these smiling faces in this room, Lord. I thank you for the words that you want us to hear today. And I just pray that we take them to heart and we apply them to our lives, whether we're married or single, Lord. We thank you so much for the gift of marriage. And I just pray that all of us in this room who are married see it as the great gift that it is. And I pray for marriages that are struggling, that they feel a renewed sense to fight for their marriage today and every day, Lord. Let this be a new day, a new day to appreciate one another, to love you and to love one another better than ever. And I pray for all the single people in this room, Lord, they will continue to build that foundation of their life on you, Lord. And that one day, if you call them to be married, that they will have fresh eyes to know who you've called them to marry and that their foundation will still be in you and through you, Lord. We thank you for all that you're teaching us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.